0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through New Beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I'm glad you're here because we're wrapping up this series, Songs of Summer, and it's been an awesome series. I don't know about you, but I really thoroughly enjoyed this. It's the first time that I've ever taken this length of time, an entire month, four different weeks and studied four different Psalms, and it's been a blessing. Now, to get the most of what we're going to study today, and just to let you know ahead of time, we are gonna be taking communion together, that's why those cups are on your seat there. We'll be taking communion towards the end of the service. What I wanna do is set the perspective and set the mood and the atmosphere for this Psalm. Because if you just read it, and I'm gonna read it to you, and if we just did it at face value, you're going to walk out of here and go, that was nice. But if you get, get yourself into the perspective and the mood and, the, and just what this meant to Jesus and what it means to us, you're going to leave this place changed today. We're preparing our hearts to take communion together. And we don't just slap communion on a service. We want to prepare our hearts in such a way that when we take communion together today, it's going to be a life-changing experience. Amen? Amen. We're actually going to do what Jesus commanded us to do is to do this in remembrance of him. But what you have to understand is this. The setting for this psalm is very unusual. And in order for us to get into this, I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about a time in your life when you knew you were going to have to face some kind of hardship. When you knew that you were going to have to go through something and you knew you were going to be okay, but you knew you still were going to have to endure this. You're going to have to walk through this trial or... Walk through this furnace, but you know that when you come out on the other side, you're going to be okay. If you don't receive the psalm this way, then you're going to miss out on it. Maybe, maybe that time in your life was a time of when you had a broken relationship, and no matter what you did, you could not get re- reconciled with this individual or individuals. Maybe it's um, some impending future financial crisis that you see coming up on the horizon. Maybe your job has been in jeopardy, or if you're a business owner or someone, investor or things of this nature, you've seen all of a sudden a business that was prosperous at one time possibly shift, and now you're faced with some challenges. Or maybe you went to the doctor and he gave you uh, a bad report, a report of you know, you're going to have to do this and we're going to have to do this treatment or that surgery or things of this nature. And so you know you're facing this, you know you're you're inside in your gut, you have a knowing that yeah, I'm gonna have to walk through this one, but when I come up on the other side, I'm gonna be okay. If you've ever been in that situation where this overwhelming crisis has the potential to just consume you, but you have made a commitment within yourself and you have determined That, yes, I'm going to walk through this, but I'm going to go through it trusting God, and I'm going to go through it with joy, and I'm going to go through it rejoicing. If you've ever had that opportunity and you have set yourself in that stance of, yes, i got to go through it, but I'm going to go through this trusting God. I'm going to go through this with joy, and I'm going to get to the other side. If you've ever been in that situation, you've caught the spirit of Psalm 118. Amen? Amen? Let me just throw this at you beforehand. This psalm is the psalm that was sung at the end of the Last Supper before Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. Are you catching this? So I wanted you to know that ahead of time so as we're reading through it, you kind of can go, oh, that's why this was in there and that's why that was in there. Okay, now mind you, this was not written that night. This is a psalm that was written hundreds of years before and it was a psalm that was traditionally sung on Passover which you and I know is the reason why Jesus got together with his disciples we call it the Last Supper but they were getting together to have a celebration that they would have every year on Passover and in observance of Passover the tradition stated that this psalm would be sung okay let me read this to you and then we're gonna go through it again and kind of bring some of the depth out of it and bring some of the richness out of it okay oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his mercy endures forever. It's interesting the way this starts out. Again, we're going to talk a lot about this, but just keep thinking about this. Jesus knows what he's going to face. He knows what he's going to go through. And yet, he's able to sing this psalm with joy and sing it by faith. Amen? Amen. I called on the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? For the Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surround me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Now those are very symbolic and very picturesque phrases. But if you've ever you could say surrounded I'm surrounded with bees. They surround me like bees. Have you ever been, especially this time of the year, hot day like today? You go to a very swampy area, a lot of wetlands, things of this nature, maybe near a lake. And have you ever gotten you just you ever just walked into a cloud of gnats and they're just all surrounding your head and your face. Somebody I mean, you know what I'm talking about here? One, two, three. The rest of you need to get out more. <laughs> that's what this, that's the picture here. Have you ever stepped into that thing where mosquitoes are flying over the place and gnats are flying over the place? They're, they're, and you just that's that's what this is saying. And very much, this is very much like what Jesus experienced on the cross. Every, every demonic voice, every devil is just attacking him in his mind attacking him physically. <clears throat> then it goes on to say they were quenched like a fire of thorns. You ever take a bunch of twigs or leaves or, and just throw them on a fire? How long do they last? They just go up like that and immediately they turn to ash. And that's what he's saying. He's, he's comparing his enemies to this. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. And we see a lot of repetition here, just like when we sing a song. Sometimes we repeat the chorus, we repeat certain lines, okay? Then verse 17 gets interesting. Now remember, Jesus is singing this on the night before he's going to go to the cross. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me very severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. And it ends exactly the same way it begins. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. When we read this psalm, it's almost hard to believe that this is the psalm that Jesus and his disciples sang at the end of that supper, knowing full well what was going to take place and what he was going to have to endure over these next few hours on the night that he would be betrayed, that he would be beaten without mercy, that they they would spit on him, they would be deserted by his followers. Jesus chooses to sing this song with joy and in faith. British Bible scholar G. Campbell Morgan said this about Psalm 118. Though this was likely David's song, it was also Jesus' song. This is preeminently the triumph song of the Christ, the Messiah. He is the ideal servant. He is the perfect priest. He is the leader of the people. How much all these words meant to him as he sang them on the night in the upper room. Mark chapter 14 tells us, verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and broke it, gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he said to them, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many, assuredly I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Verse 26 then tells us that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, up to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is the ultimate example of faith and trust in the Father. And I pray that by the time we're done, this afternoon here, by the time we're ready to take communion, that we start seeing the value of that when we know we're gonna to have to go through something, that we will take the stance that Jesus took, and say, I'm not gonna be overwhelmed, I'm not gonna be overcome, I'm going, to, I'm going to sing praises to God, I'm gonna declare his goodness, I am not gonna grumble and complain, I am not gonna keep glorifying the devil by saying everything that the devil's doing to me, I'm going to take the stance of joy, of, of just gladness, of trust and of confidence in God. That's what I pray that we can do. Imagine, having just come from the Last Supper and all the craziness that took place there, disciples fighting amongst each other. Who's going to be first? Who's going to, be, who's going to sit next to Jesus in his kingdom? Jesus had just gotten done washing their feet. Peter's giving them a hard time because he does not want Jesus to wash his feet. Judas is watching this whole thing. He's getting ready to make his move. And Jesus is sitting there having to endure all of this dysfunction. Have you ever had just your, your heart is aching because you've suffered from some type, of, some, some type of emotional disappointment, and you're just carrying this, but you're in a, group, you're in a room with a group of people, uh, maybe sitting there with family members, and you have to keep smiling like nothing's wrong. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But in the meantime, in your inside, you're saying, man, if they only knew what I'm going through, if they only knew what I'm facing right now. But you have to sit there and smile. Imagine what Jesus had to endure. He must have been thinking to himself, really, you guys, really, is this how you're acting? You're fighting amongst each other, backbiting amongst each other. James and John got their mother to come in, tell Jesus, "Say, hey, listen, can you take care of my sons? If that was me or you, we'd wanna sit there and go, do you know what I'm going through right now? Do you know what I'm facing, do you know what's gonna to happen to me in the next 12 hours? And you, and you come to me with all this petty stuff, and yet you don't see any of that conduct. What you see at the Last Supper is Jesus lovingly, patiently preparing his disciples for the most traumatic day of their lives. And they don't have a clue. And he's got to hold on to it. We sing a song here that I thought of when I was putting these notes together. When you just, you just realize the depth of Jesus' love and the grace that was on his life to be able to walk through all this stuff. and he, he never lashes out at the disciples or anything like that. The song we sing goes like this. No wonder we call you Savior. No wonder we sing your praise. Jesus, our hope forever, you made a way. You made a way. He did. He made a way. Now now watch this now. He not only made the way, and I know salvation is the greatest thing that we could ever experience, and we're so thankful that he went to the cross our behalf. We're so thankful that he came to this earth and confined himself within a a, a flesh and blood and bone body for our behalf, on our behalf. We're grateful that he made a way for us to receive salvation. But but watch this. Through this example of this psalm, he made a way for us to follow his example when we face crisis. And I'm telling you, if you live long enough on this earth, you're going to face crisis. When we're children, we face crisis, and we look back and go, man, I thought that was bad, but this is nothing. When we're teenagers, we face crisis, our first love, our first crush. And then later on, we realize, wow, that was nothing compared to this. We're going to go through things. God never promised that this place was going to be without trial, without tribulation. Jesus, in fact, said, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to face these kind of things. However, be of good cheer. In other words, take courage. I have overcome all these things. And so he's made the way for us to follow his example. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Now think about this. Jesus, in order for Jesus to successfully navigate through this horrible time. The Bible tells us that he set a joy before him. In other words, he had to set a mark that he would focus on, on, watch this, on the other side of the cross, on the other side of these three days that he's going to have to endure. And the Bible tells us that he set that joy before him, and that allowed him to endure the cross. That joy was every single person that's ever lived on this planet, every single individual that's ever been born has been on the planet now and will be in the future. You and I are his joy. We were the incentive for him to go through this horrible, nasty time. Now, I don't know if you've ever been this type of person. Have to do this kind. Of, I have to employ that same principle when I go to the dentist. How many of you here love going to the dentist? Let me see your hands. How many of you love to go to the dentist? Because if that you're weird. (laughs) I didn't say I didn't say I don't like the dentist. They're nice people. But there's something different about a person who all day long spends time inflicting pain on someone. And then if that's not enough, every five seconds, you doing okay? You're doing okay? I want to sit there and go, would you please get this over with? just forget about how I'm doing, stop asking me, I'm okay, if you don't, if I don't punch you, I'm doing all right, let's just get through this, so now what I gotta do is this, watch, what I gotta do is, I have to set a joy before me, I gotta settle in my heart a couple days beforehand, all right, I just gotta make believe that these two hours don't exist, that it's just gonna be, I'm just gonna go through this, it's gonna be, and I believe God, now Father, thank you, that's gonna go quick, it's gonna go painless, blah, 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 the whole bit, but I have to gear myself up, I've got to get myself prepared, okay because otherwise i'm going to do just like you do uh 20 minutes before i'm going to call up and cancel the appointment i know you do so that joy that i have to set before myself just like jesus pictured all of us on the other side of the cross on the other side of the tomb coming out of that tomb raising from the dead so that you and i could be raised to new life okay I have to put it in my head, okay, it's going to be a rough time, it's going to be a couple hours at rough, I'm going to be numb, I'm going to be that. no, no, I come out of it, I'm however, when I'm done, and when, when that all fades off, away, I'm going to go get myself a treat. I'm going to treat myself to something because as a reward, because now I just endured this horrible time in this torture chair. Okay, now, I hope to God there's no dental assistance here. Uh, there's nobody that works for dentists and I hope it's not my dentist okay but you understand my point here sometimes you have to gear yourself up that you know okay I'm not going to get around this one I'm going to have to go through this one just because let's be honest with each other okay you study the scriptures Jesus doesn't always calm the storm sometimes you're going to walk through some things however you are never alone sometimes you're going to walk through that furnace you're going to have to, you have to get in here. However, he's with you, and when you come out on the other side, your clothes, they don't smell of smoke, okay? Your hair, if you have any, is still intact, and you're okay. You're going to come out the other side, and you're going to say, I'm good, I'm fine, I am shalom, I am. I have peace, I am complete, there's nothing broken, there's nothing missing, I have come through this ordeal intact. But we have to be honest that there's sometimes we're gonna walk through some things. I'm like you, I would rather he always show up on the scene and go, peace, be still, the wind stop, the waves stop, I would love for that to happen, but it doesn't always happen that way. Are you with me here? Okay, so Jesus is preparing himself to go to the cross. They say, Jesus, well, how, how? Jesus would have struggled with this? Yeah, don't you remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? Don't you remember that three times he prays for God to change the plan? And then each time he comes to the conclusion, yet not my will, but your will be done. And he resigns himself, not in defeat, he submits himself to the plan of God. Yeah, you're going to have to go through this. However, I'm going to raise you on the third day. You're going to come back and you're going to declare the wondrous works of God. Let's keep reading here. Verse 8, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. That's obvious. He knew he could not depend on people. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? He says to the disciples, I was there, ah, yeah, that was such a good meal. And Jesus says, well, you know, can you guys stay over here and pray? I'm gonna go just a little bit of ways here. I'm gonna pray in my own. And uh, you guys pray for me. You remember what happened? Each time he came back, the turkey got to them, and they fell asleep. He knew he couldn't trust anybody but, except for his Father in heaven. Verse 14 says, The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. Let me ask you this question. What does your tent sound like when there's adversity going on? What sound is coming out of your tent when, when some crisis is broken out? Is it one of these, oh God, I don't understand. How could you make this happen? How could you do this to me? How could you let this? Or is it, Father, I don't understand what's going on, but you know what? My faith is in you. My trust is in you. My confidence is in you. And no matter what we're going to walk through, I know we're going to walk through together, and it's going to be fine. What sound is coming out of your tent? Is it the sound of rejoicing? Is it the sound of faith? Is it the sound of confidence? Or is it the sound of griping and complaining and, and questioning and, why me, and why me, and poor me, and all this other stuff. I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that for you. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm trying to raise the level of awareness here. The Bible tells us that in the tents of the righteous, which is who we are, there should be the sound of rejoicing and the sound of joy. It goes on to say now, now here, here, here I picture Jesus getting a chuckle out of this. Because now, the psalm is talking about him himself, even though it was written hundreds and hundreds of years before, it is talking about him. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Well, who's the right hand of the Lord? Jesus. He is. He's singing about himself. He's singing. And in verse 17, he says, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Well, we know that he died on the cross, right? We know that he was buried for three days. But we also know that he rose again from the dead. So Jesus is speaking not what's going to happen, but what God's plan is, that he's not going to stay dead. He is going to raise from the dead. And God Almighty is going to, through Jesus, declare the works of God. Jesus then gives those works, and gives us the command, gives us the authority, and now the the, the wonders of God and the works of the Lord are being declared by his followers, by his church. All these 2,000 years and into the future until he returns. Amen? Amen? Jesus is singing in faith. He's singing by faith. You see, faith does not reinforce the facts that are before you. Faith changes the facts now he's going to face death but he's not going to stay dead and so he's employing a principle that's revealed to us in romans chapter 4. romans chapter 4 talks about abraham and it says that abraham placed his faith in god who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did and what is that all about because that's that's a nice phrase and most of us if we read through romans chapter 4 we go right through it, and not understand the significance. There is a reason why Abraham is mentioned in this chapter. There's a reason why he's connected to this verse, because this is exactly how Abraham lived. God comes on the scene in Abraham's life, and at that time, he's called Abram. Say that with me. Abram. Abram means father. Now, that's a joke in itself, because he still doesn't have any children, yet his name is father. Father. God comes on the scene and says to him, your descendants are gonna be like the sand along the seashore. Your descendants are gonna be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. And so he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, father of many nations, and he still doesn't have one child. What was God doing? God was calling those things that do not exist as though they do. So through that, Abraham now latches onto this idea, and never again in the scriptures do you see him referred to as Abram, but always Abraham, the father of many nations. Well, what's the principle here? Well, let me give you this other illustration, maybe you'll understand a little bit clearer. You remember Jesus comes on the scene and he finds a bunch of fishermen out on a boat. They've been fishing all night, they've caught nothing. And the, the principal fisherman, is a man named Simon. We pronounce it as Simon in English, but in Hebrew it's Shimon. Shimon means and refers to a reed that just blows in the wind. Now, if you, if you and I were to take a trip down to, close to the bay, or maybe some lakes or some ponds, you would see some of these really thin reeds that grow out of the ground right near the water. Sometimes the roots are in the water. And you notice that the slightest little breeze, what happens? They just... Just, they, have no, they have no resistance. They have no backbone, if we could say it that way. They just, wherever the wind blows, that's where they go. And we see Simon's character is very much that way. So Jesus comes on the scene and then spends some time with, with, with Shimon. And then at one point in time, he does to Shimon what God did to Abram. He changes his name. He calls him Peter. Well, Kepa in Aramaic, translated Petros in Greek, translated Peter in English, the rock. But he's still blowing with the wind. But how is Jesus going to get Shimon from being Shimon to get him to become Peter? By constantly criticizing Shimon? By constantly calling him a reading the wind? But or, or, or what's he going to do? He uses this principle of calling the thing that does not yet exist as though it does. And so from that point forward, Jesus always refers to him as Peter. Are you listening to me? How are you and I going to change the things in our lives that are not yet lining up with the word of God? Is it going to happen that because we constantly and continuously acknowledge the condition of an individual or the condition of a situation in your life? or is it gonna happen when we start to, contrary to what we see, speak what we believe by faith and see that things change? You listening to me? Brandon, are you in here? I'm gonna use that young man as an example. Brandon is the young man that was playing the guitar today, leading worship, okay? About a year and a half ago, I walked up to him and I said to him, "You are a worship leader. Well, I don't know. You are a worship leader, and I'm going to call you worship leader from now on. Why? Because he was not yet operating in that, in the fullness of it. Yet, since that time, I've seen him because he he accepted." what I was meaning and accepted what I was speaking to him. And I have watched this young man develop in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, develop in his abilities to sing, develop in his abilities to play musical instruments, but most importantly, develop in his sensitivity to knowing what the Holy Spirit wants to do in, within a service. You see what I'm talking about? Now, if I would have said to him, you're not operating this way, what's wrong with you? Why can't you sing? What what would have happened to that young man? He would have went backwards. Yes or no? Yeah. But using this principle of calling what not yet is as though it is, is what operates in an individual's life to get them to change. So I'm saying that to, to, to say this. I said I'd like to say this. Do you have individuals in your life that may not be measuring up to what God's standard is for them or what God's plan is for them? You're not, gonna, you're not gonna get them into that plan and you're not gonna get them to start walking in that by you acknowledging the weaknesses, acknowledging the character flaws, acknowledging the sin, acknowledging all this other stuff. What you're gonna do is start to talk about them the way God sees them. Jesus began to refer to Shimon who just was all over the place, always, always opening his mouth when he's not supposed to, always saying the wrong thing to become the rock so that when Jesus leaves this earth and returns it to heaven, On Pentecost Sunday, Peter the Rock, not Shimon, Peter the Rock stands up and preaches a a message that probably lasted less than 15 minutes, and 3,000 people come into the kingdom of God that day. Jesus is doing the same thing. He's not going to acknowledge what the devil's going to do to him. He's not going to acknowledge what death's going to do to him. He's not going to acknowledge what's going to happen to him in the spirit realm when he has to descend into hell. He's not going to do anything. What is he doing? He is speaking those things that are not as though they are. I will not die, but live and declare the wonders of God, the works of God. You listening to me? Verse 18 says, The Lord has chastened me severely, which reminds you of Isaiah 53. Chastened means punished. Isaiah 53 tells us that he, the Messiah, was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord, watch us now, the Lord laid on him, the Messiah, Jesus, the sins of us all. And imagine, I, I can't help but think, I cannot help but think, especially when we get to the next verse of Scripture, verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. I have to imagine... I can't help but think that as the disciples are all singing this with Jesus, because this is the tradition, this is what you did at the end of the Passover dinner, you sang Psalm 118, known from the rabbis as the Hallel Psalm, the Psalm of Praise. And you you have to, they have to be thinking, they have to be thinking, wait a second, this stuff that we're singing here, these words that we're singing, we've seen this happen. We've seen this happen. Especially verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It was only the Sunday before that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And it says that multitudes came out of the city, multitudes. And they began to sing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! Hosanna! They threw their cloak, their, their robes down on the ground so that. The donkey would walk on those and not, you know, as a sign of respect and reverence and honor. They cut down branches and they're waving them and they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna. Yet, within 12 hours, these same people that are out in the street singing Hosanna, Hosanna, are going to be the same ones that are going to scream, crucify him, crucify him. I wonder if they made the connection. Wait a second. We just sang this song. He is the stone that the builders have rejected. And yet now, he's becoming the chief cornerstone. He told, he told Peter, who do people say that I am? He asked him, who do they say they am? They said, well, some people say you're this, and some people say this prophet back from the dead. He said, but who do you say I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And upon this rock... Upon this cornerstone, what cornerstone? Not Peter. Upon the revelation of who he is. He is the son of God. He is our salvation. Upon that cornerstone, he said, I'll build my church. Are you listening? John chapter 1 verse 10 says, he, Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Imagine this. Jesus was arrested just hours after singing this song. The very people he came for rejected him. His own disciple betrayed him with a kiss. Yet he became the very cornerstone, the foundation of our restoration and salvation to all who believe. And finally, verse 26, as we wrap this up, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you for the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice. And this phrase is just dropped in there like it makes no sense. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. What does that bind the sacrifice? See, back then, in the Old Testament times, they took animals and brought them to the temple, and they were going to be sacrificed. And sometimes those animals would realize what was going to happen. They saw the knife. They saw the blood of the other animals. They might have even witnessed the animals before them being slaughtered. And so they would become resistant. And so what they would have to do at times is take a rope and put it around their throat or put it around their horns and tie them to the altar so that they could not escape the slaughter. It's not by coincidence that's dropped right in the middle here. Because what's going to happen to Jesus in a few more hours He's going to the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, on the ultimate altar, the cross, but he's not gonna resist. It tells us that like a lamb led to the slaughter, he went, willingly, and truth be told, they didn't even have to nail him to the cross, because the love that he has for you and for me would have kept him on that cross. And then finally, it ends the way it began, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And so church, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to read a scripture to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where the Apostle Paul gave us instruction pertaining to the Lord's Supper, to communion. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, as we prepare our hearts for communion would you please stand as we worship. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today.